Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. Indie Game Business is recorded live on Mixer and produced by the Powell Group. Check us out at IndieGame.Business. Now, let's start the show with your hosts, Jay Powell and me, Indy. Everybody, my name is Indy, and that gentleman to my, would that be my, that'd be my left? Or be we, my right. you, we don't know anymore. It's, we're all over the place. Okay. We're having trouble streaming to your destination. It's possible your RTMP server URL or stream key is invalid. Was that Mixer? Yeah. Okay. I'll work on that. Okay. I will just move that. We're work. trying new technology today, everybody. So you know, there may be a slight hiccup. Here a couple of hiccups, but yeah, yeah this is uh, that gentleman's Jay from Powell Group Consulting, and this is Indie Game Business. And down below us, we have uh, Larry Cooperman from the business dev from uh, Night Dive Studios. Welcome, and we are back, talking Larry. about politics in gaming. And th there's no politics in gaming. What are you talking about? <laughs> so, this is one of the things that I was thinking of before when Larry said. You know, let's talk about this. And he and I discussed this yesterday, or the, the topic for today yesterday. But it's like one of the things that's like sacrosanct or sacrosanct, whatever the word is, when you are going into business, especially when you're younger, is that when you're out at a conference or you're in a call that you don't talk about politics or religion. And I have found that the older I get, the less I give a shit. <laughs> It's like, I'm going to talk about this. This is how I feel about this. And if you don't like it, that's fine. That's, but you know, I, 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 part of it is I'm older. Part of it is like, I'm in charge of the company. So if somebody gets pissed off at me, they get pissed off at me. But anyway, mm -hmm. this is, um, this is unprecedented, really. I'll be all told you know, between pandemics and, you know, the, the new civil rights movement and all of this stuff. So it's, it, it's impossible to say that it doesn't have an effect on games. And so, you know, Larry, with that, we don't need to know, we don't need to go into who you are and how you did all this, you know, what you've done to this point, because we've already talked about that, but where, where do you want to dive in? Where do you want to get started? Larry? So, so um, first of all, that's a, that's a, Phenomenal introduction. Um, uh, I hope that there are people still listening now that I've been introduced that way. But, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know, uh, the, the first thing, the first thing that I, I want to talk about is um, not the stuff that we do consciously, not the not the expressing of our public opinions or about causes or charities that we support or that we don't support. That's that's a big part of it. I also want to talk a little bit about the. Um, the unconscious decision making that that uh, goes goes into the creation of games, and um, I know on on these shows um, you usually uh, you usually try to get a guest to say something um, really controversial or, uh, or or revealing. So let's get that get that out of the way. Um, for uh, for a lot of years, I have been absolutely living uh, a lie. Um, the the kids that I work with, both in game development, and when I say kids, uh, most of the people that I work with are, are literally young enough to be um, my children, or I'm literally old enough to be their their uh, their parental figure. Um, the, the kids that I work with, both in game development and in particular the ones that um, 
I work with in the uh, the IGDA, the uh, International Game uh, Developers Association, really think that um, that they're there to to learn from me and from my experience, and and it's actually the opposite that is true. Um, I learn so much from them. There are so many things that uh, that the kids today do um, that 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 just really opened my eyes. And let me let me speak specifically about a presentation. Um, that, that I did the introduction for, Morgan Lakotis um, over at the Las Vegas IGDA did a, a presentation on diversity in games. And it was, it was an amazing presentation, but it had, it had two real, um, real takeaways that, that just opened my eyes. And the, the first one is that um, the audience that we have, the demographics of the audience that we have for any current generation of games will largely dictate the demographics of the next generation of game developers, um, which seems uh, which seems really logical when you think about it. But nobody had ever put it that way. So if you have um, if you have mostly white males um, developing games, they are going to develop games that are going to tend to attract white males who are going to then be the, the, the pool out of which the next generation of game developers will come. Very simple idea that most people that go into game development um, started off by, uh, by being game players. Um, so that was, that was idea number one. And idea number two um, that, that really, really blew me away was that the nature of the games that, that we design dictate um, who, who's going to play them. Um, so if you can't find any characters that seem to look like you, to represent you, to be about the same kinds of things that, that you're about, um, you're probably not going to play that game or you're going to be less likely to play the game. And there's, there's other, other um, more subtleties. Um, one is, you know, developing games uh, for, for people uh, who need, you know, some, some extra visual cues. I mean, there's, there's a whole lot that, that goes into that. But um, what, what, I, what, I, what I gleaned from that was that we're going to continue to make, you know, unless we have some changes, um, we're going to continue to make games that appeal to a specific demographic, um, by and large. And, and the fact that we, we attract uh, a demographic into, into who plays the games um, is really going to dictate who develops them in the next generation. That that idea was those those two ideas were, were really powerful to me, and they began to speak to um, some of the, the the politics of games. You know, um, it's not just what causes you you uh, espouse or what causes you 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 ignore or you know any of that stuff. It's it's what you do in terms of development, um, and and so if if you want to change who plays the games, if you want to expand your gaming audience. And I, as a business person, that is near and dear to my heart. Um, the wider uh, a range of people that my games appeal to, um, the, the bigger my, my audience share is likely to be. Uh, you know, that's, that, that's just business sense. If, uh, if, if my games uh, appeal to, to 10 million people worldwide um, and I can increase that number to 100 million people worldwide, um, and I still get the same percentage of them. You know, obviously my 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 uh, my audience share has grown. Um, so you know, 
that said, uh, the decisions that we make in in who makes games uh, and who's going to be part of of that uh, that that demographic uh, really is going to influence what the what the politics of games is. Once I understood that, I, I began to realize that every single decision that we make in in terms of game development has at least to some degree of political ramification. Yep. Um, I'm really lucky in that uh, Night Dive specializes in uh, the republishing um, of, of, of classic video games. Uh, we are almost always working from a game that, that has already been made. I mean, that's, that's our forte. I'm sure a lot of people in the audience know Night Dive, uh, you know, we, we, we did Blood last year in conjunction um, with Atari. We did Doom 64, uh, most recently working with Bethesda Games. We have our own titles, the the Turok series, and, of course, um, the one that, that's probably uppermost in everybody's consciousness is System Shock. Um, in those cases, we didn't have to make a, a whole lot of hard decisions. Let me give you an example. Um, when, we, uh, when we remastered Turok, um, it was not something that we had to debate about making uh, the main character uh, a Native American. Um, that decision had already been made in the 1990s when, when the game came out for, for PC and N64 back then. So that wasn't something that, that we had to wrestle with. Um, there are other decisions that um, are a little bit more you know, nuanced, um, you, you pretty much know who the hacker is in System Shock if you've ever played the, the original game or, uh, or System Shock 2. I mean, you, you, understand, um, you understand the background of that. But it is a decision that we've, you know, we've looked at, uh, do, do we offer the player other options? Uh, options in terms, of, um, in terms of, of coloration, in terms of gender, um, you know, how, how diverse do you want to get? That said, it's it's not something that that night dive needs to wrestle with. But when I uh, when I talk to a lot of the kids today that are developing, you know, brand new games and brand new concepts, um, it is something that that is uh, uppermost in in their thinking. Um, you know, at the, at the beginning of the game, you typically do a, a character design. What are the options that we give the player? How does that change um, the the story play? Those are all things that I think uh, today's modern generation of of game developers um, need to look at. It it is, and we see this, you know, from a lot of different standpoints. I was on a talk last week, not on it. I was, I was listening to a talk last week uh, with the IGDA about the role that you know race and politics has started to take in the industry, not only from the game point of view, but from you know the studio level, the publisher level the you know hr level and it was really 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 good and, and that's one of the things that you consistently hear is you know people want to play games with characters that they identify with and if they can't you know yeah if we want to loop this back around to a business point of view then yeah you're limiting your audience you know you're you're, you're restricting your own sales because of that and then you know, then you get, of course, the the backlash on the on Reddit and the forums and everything else about social justice warriors and things like that. But that is that is a, a very vocal minority. That's it, not the reality of the majority of the people, you know, playing. 
I, I think that's true. I, I think that's a hundred percent true. Let's let's start off with some um, some things that that are perhaps not controversial. Um, well, I don't know. I, I guess everything everything today is controversial. Um, do you give your player a choice uh, of of what gender character to play in the game? Um, do you allow them to choose between male and female characters? I mean, just just uh, just just that simple. So if you uh, if you do not allow uh, if you do not allow the player to choose uh, to to be female in the game, um, I would offer that uh, that the the initial impact of that is. Uh, that you're probably losing, you know, at least you're, you're chancing losing 50%, uh, a little bit over 50% of, of your audience. Um, regardless of what your politics is, that's a poor business decision. Yeah. Um, you know, companies that say, uh, I'm going to make tires, but um, I'm only going to make tires that would work on, on half the cars because I don't like the other half. Um, that that's probably not a not not a, a good plan for success. I see. My question, you know, we can always ask, you know, what what options do you have at, at character selection? You know, my is why not why not have all of these different options? Because what I mean, unless you are creating a very very specific you know, gender related narrative game at the end of the day, what's the downside? I mean, yeah. you, and then we get the things like Ubisoft said, which was the Assassin's Creed game. And they're like, well, there's not a female option because the animation would have been difficult. You have 15 studios and dozens of millions of dollars going into this. And you're honestly standing there with a straight face and telling me that a character model and animation for one character would have broke the budget. So, so that's very true. And there's a there's a, a, a another point that that underlies that. Um, particularly if anybody that's that's listening to this um, is is the head of a studio. Let me uh, offer some slightly off topic um, advice. Don't let your developers talk to the press. <laughs> it's just never a good idea. Regardless of the of the capabilities, and regardless of, of how that would have changed the the budget on the game, that aside, um, I think that what you what you run into, and this goes back to the the presentation that I was I was referencing, I think that what you run into is that people don't think of it at the time of design. So if you have a studio that um, that is all um, all that all looks the same. They're, they're, they're all young men between the ages of, you know, uh, 23 and, and 30, and uh, they all come from the same region, and, um, uh, you know, they, they all have the same complexion. Um, they just might not think about there being people that look differently or, or that are different. I, I think that that's, that's really part of it. And so that, that goes down to, I mean, that now takes the takes the discussion from, and I'm glad you mentioned HR. It now takes the discussion from a game design perspective to a, a, a bigger perspective on 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 HR, right? Um, uh, you know, who do you hire? 
the, the game that you make is is in large part going to be dictated by who's who's making the game, or at least certainly influenced by that. Um, and again, uh, you know, I'm going to tell you um, there's a there's a, a slightly uh, different from mainstream situation with Night Dive. Night Dive is one of the earliest, if not the earliest, uh, company to be completely distributed. Um, we are we are literally worldwide. Um, uh, there is no central office to which most people or, or a significant number of people come. Um, we have developers ranging from New Zealand to Stockholm, Sweden, um, literally all over the world. I, I should probably throw Brazil in there also. Um, we um, we hire our people. Uh, not only do they work remotely, but we we hire them remotely. So. Um, it would be really, really difficult for me to judge somebody by the way they look, since I, um, I really don't know how more than half of my developers look. If they, uh, if they haven't ever done uh, a, a live stream and turned their cameras on, um, I don't have a clue. Uh, and that's fine. That's 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 probably the the way it should be. Um, we, uh, you know, we hire on the basis of, of you know, talent and uh, capability, industry experience. Um, that that said, uh, there's there's a problem in, in, intrinsic to that as well, um, and and that problem is this: that we, uh, if you hire people based on references. Right, so uh, I start a studio. I start a, I start a studio with with Jay Powell, and uh, when we go to hire our third person, we hire somebody that that Jay knows. That's a great way of 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 uh, of getting you know of, of getting people that you're comfortable with. The problem is, is that Jay is probably going to recommend somebody that kind of looks like him, um, and that that's a problem that big tech runs into into quite a bit. It's not an intentional bias it's that unintentional bias that uh, that the people that that get recommended tend to look like the recommenders um, that said you know and, and 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 don't get me wrong I mean I don't know I don't know all the answers to this stuff but um, as things are changing as more and more companies are moving to a to at least supporting remote work if not um, mandating remote work um, you know, I, I think I think that some of those barriers are going to change. Um, my uh, my biggest concern is not in, um, in in getting the the right mix of of, of looks and genders and, and and all those selections. My biggest concern is just remembering what time zone people are in. <laughs> so it's amazing how big of an issue that becomes at times. But one of the and there's so many different aspects of this. How do we get more, and I'm not even going to say it in race. I'm just saying, how do we get more variations in? More diversity. More, more yeah, diversity. In, in, yeah, in politics and everything else. How so, do we get them in the door in the first place? Because you see so many of these studios and, and you know, a lot of them prefer to recruit or promote from within. And that's, fine but if you don't have like you said if you if you don't have that initial funnel coming in with a lot of diversity yeah. in there then what the 
you know, you're not going to have any options to promote, you know, to get through this stuff. Yep. And, and so, you know, for, for larger companies, and again, you mentioned Ubisoft, and, and I know Ubisoft does this. Ubisoft actively, um, actively tries to, uh, to, to have diverse groups in terms of development and to, and to um, promote uh, with, with an eye towards, towards having more diversity. I, I, I just want to say almost all of the large uh, companies in gaming do that. I think, I think that, that where the real challenges are, are for smaller and mid-sized companies. And the way that you, uh, you fix that problem is the way you fix just about any problem, which is you pay attention to it. You recognize that um, that it that it's an issue, and that you probably want to want to have a, a, a larger, you know, more diverse group. Um, the the other thing that's so funny is that again, as as we're moving into this this post COVID world, um, as it becomes as we we have less geographical sensitivities. So um, there's a there's a a wonderful book um, called called Rework. Um, um, one of the things that they say in there is that if you require everyone to be at your office in, and you can feel free to fill in the name of whatever your favorite city is, New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Montreal, Vancouver, um, Paris, Berlin, et cetera, and so forth. If your home office is there and you require everyone that works for you to be at that office at eight 30 in the morning on Monday, um, don't say you hire the best of the best. You hire the best people that are available in wherever that location is at 8.30. In the post-COVID world, as we're, we're breaking down those, those geolocation barriers, I think we're going to have um, a lot more diversity. And I think, I think that, that it, it, it's a problem that solves, solves itself. It, so, yes and no. The, that exact mentality is why we wanted to do the game dev yeah. career days and which is going on like right now. Yeah. And we ended up with, we've got 300 and some applicants, you know, from literally all, all over the world, everybody from, you know, folks that are looking for internships that are still in school up to people who have been doing this for 10 or 15 years. The reason that we did it was, okay, so, now we are you know in this covid world we you know a, a virtual career fair never made fair never made sense as long as you're dealing with geography uh so now is the time to do yeah. something that covers everything and we were wrong the reality that we've seen in the companies that are hiring is despite you know what we thought the majority of the companies that are that have posted positions and are hiring at the game dev career days are hiring for local talent. And there's a reason for some of that. Yeah. You know, and we, we had this discussion with the team yesterday. It's like if you're in Canada and your studio takes any money from the province or from the Canadian federal system, that money is supposed to be queued for hiring Canadians or yeah. We've been, I know some provinces have programs that you can get a grant to hire an outside consultant if your area or province doesn't have this particular skill set of that particular. But uh, if you're in Australia, for example, even if you're working remotely, unless you are a freelancer or a contractor, 
you have to have an Australian work permit, even if you're nowhere near Australia. So we've run into, and granted, it's the first time we've done one of these, uh, but we had wonderful hopes that, okay, this is going to open up, you know, remote working globally. And it just simply hasn't, you know, because so many companies are still hiring, you know, for local jobs, whether it's because that's what they want or it's because that's what they're mandated by on the, on the government level. You know, I've talked, but I have talked to a few companies, publishers and developers who, you know, I talked to the CEO of one of the publishers last week and he said, you know, we, we've been working from, he's in Germany. He said, we've been working from home since we got everything shut down. And he said, quite frankly, I'm not going back. You know, he, he said, it's, I had an hour and 20 minute commute one way to my office. And, you know, it's, it's not worth it given how much we can get done remotely now. And that, you know, bounce in there going, yes, this validates exactly what we were thinking, but uh, it doesn't, that's not what we've seen. Let me, let, me, let me step back and, and say a couple of things. First of all, I, I ended my uh, my last paragraph by saying it's a problem that's going to fix itself. Well, that change is going to take is going to take a while. Um, the people that are currently running companies that um, may have moved to a you know WFH to a work from home um, philosophy either see that as as temporary or haven't really digested what that means. Um, that that if you're in in, in a particular place um, and you're looking for the for the best talent uh, that you you can you can get, um, you should cast your your net fairly wide. Um, there there may be somebody in another country that's that's exactly what you need, um, and and the only difference you know for for certain types of work. Um, is is the IP address of the person? I mean, if, if, if even when companies are are everyone is located in this, back in the in the pre twenty twenty days in the in the long ago times of of twenty nineteen um, when everyone worked in the same office, almost every company that I know um, used used various online mechanisms for both communication and for project tracking. Whether they're using Slack and Jira. Trello, you know, Notion, et, et cetera, and so forth. Um, everyone is, is working online, even if they're in the same office. What possible difference does it does it make? Um, I was an early re remote employee working for uh, working for GameStop. Um, one of the uh, one of the senior people that that I worked for said, uh, "Don't you miss um, those those you know water cooler uh, coffee maker conversations?" Hell no. <laughs> and um, and I, I I said to him, I said, "Oh, um, we used to call those distractions." Yes. Um, uh, so yesterday yesterday's T-shirt was one that uh, said, "Well, I guess we're about to find out which meetings could have been handled by emails after all." That's that's it. That's one of the first things you learn when you go remote. Yep. Is that you have more time. Yep. And, and yes, let me let me rephrase what I said a second ago. I do miss a bit of being in an office and having that dynamic. But at the same yep. time, I don't miss it more than the flexibility that I have now and the ability to get shit done in like half the time. I um. Uh... 
I, I worked, this is just a memorable experience from about 20 years ago. Um, I worked in, a, in an office where the, the office next door um, was manned by a person who felt that um, his time at work was a great time to trim his nails. Mm-hmm. And you could hear the pop as he, as he cut through them. Ooh. When he got past 10, I had to get up and say, don't do that anymore. Oh, uh, Hmm. Um, so, you know, fingernails was okay, but when we get past the, we're, we're onto the next, uh, the next, uh, milestone, um, I had a problem with it, no, but, but, but seriously uh, on that, uh, you know, I think that, I think it's going to take a while for, for the change, you know, to, to, uh, manifest in human behavior. The other thing is that, uh, I said, it's a problem that's going to fix itself. I should say it's a problem that's going to fix itself as long as we continue to have policies in place, either governmental or or internal corporate policies that support the direction that we want to go in, right? So, um, for example, if you're doing resumes, um, there is probably no reason that you can't do resumes. You know, many tech companies do this now, have moved to a double-blind system. Um, You don't see the person's name. You don't see anything that would... uh, that would would indicate um, what their demographic is until you've made a decision to go forward based on skill level. I don't understand why we haven't done that to this point. And I, and I know part of recruiting and growing a company, it's like we, we've had job openings here before, but it's not something that, you know, I went out and posted you know, I, I went for a specific person. It's like, I need yeah. you to do this. But when it comes to general, you know, applications coming in, I don't know why we haven't done that for years. It, it, it seems to me that the easiest way to take race and gender and age out of all of this is to not include it, although you can still infer age based on when they graduated college or how many jobs they've had or whatever, you know, but the, I, I just, I, I don't get it. I don't know why we haven't done that. I'm, I'm going to tell, I'm gonna tell you, we, we can talk about, about race. We can talk about, um, about language. We can talk about where you're from. We can talk about gender and, and how you do that. And, and, and many people will agree that those are things that, that, you know, should not be part of, of the resume process, should not be part of the evaluation process. It's near and dear to my heart. I, I think that ageism is going to be the last one that falls. Um, I think that, uh, that, that that's, that's probably going to be something that, um, is, is going to be a challenge for, for many companies in the game industry that, uh, that, that they look at somebody like me and think, you know, um, uh, you know, what can he possibly know about games? And I, you know, I, I always explain, you know, I'm an OG, uh, original gamer that, uh, uh, that, you know, my, my world changed the first time I played Wolfenstein 3d. And I was, I was already a grown man with kids by that point, but, but, you know, but, but that's, um, but that's that's neither here nor there. There's there's that aspect of it, Jay. Um, you know, again, I, I think that that the the reason that we get so complicated on that is is there's there's a whole variety of things that we don't take into account. And again, I'm going to come back to the referral system. Look, if you have a company that's that's up and you're looking for 
a programmer and and the lead uh, for that that uh, team comes over to you and says hey I have a friend that uh, that's looking for a job and they would be an ideal candidate that's probably going to be the first person that you're going to you're going to interview mm-hmm. and um, the likelihood just because this is the way that that human dynamics looks is that that person is going to be you know is most likely to be similar in in several categories to the person that referred them that's, yeah, that's just the way human nature is now having said that the answer then becomes obvious also if you enact a program that will uh, a hiring program that will give you a more diverse base of people if you go in and uh and and you do those things to you know to address the issue initially you're going to move forward get a more diverse base of referrals and so the the problem will will be uh, ameliorated look at you using those big words today yeah i know <laughs> i know it's uh it's my it's my my sales uh my sales background i always try to confuse clients if they don't know what the word is they'll just probably buy the product um yeah. Um, but you know, I, I think I think that that's that's part of it. Um, I think that the the other thing though that that's going on, and you you referenced this a little bit in your introduction. Um, so so the first thing that I want to talk about with the with the politics of gaming is how we design games. That we design games to to appeal to a, a certain demographic, and that that may be an unconscious bias. We may be designing games that appeal to people like us not even thinking that it's only going to appeal to people like us. So that's, that's number one. Number two is that the corollary to that is that the way to get a, a more diverse mix of games is to begin with a more diverse mix of people that, that make the games. And I know a lot of companies, particularly the big companies, are addressing that. Um, my concern, and I think it's one that, that just by having these discussions gets better, is, is with small companies, that small companies really actively seek out people that that are, are a little bit different to at least get their input about the game um, that they, they might tell you some things that you might might not have seen the the, the other thing though that I, I want to talk about that's going on right now and and you alluded to it is um, the, the commitment to and support um, for for certain social causes would that be okay if we uh, we kind of segue on to that because it, it has implications to the other two things yeah but I got, I got one question first Sure. Are you looking for a publisher for your game? Well, we have something special just for you. It's the most comprehensive listing of PC, console, and mobile publishers in the industry. Over 700 companies sorted by platform with links to their websites. You can get the list at www.powellgroupconsulting.com slash publisher dash list. And you can get it for free. Check it out. So when we're looking at designing games that don't necessarily appeal to a certain demographic, how do we balance that with go select casual games yep we know analytically for a fact the majority the vast majority of players of 
casual games, hidden object games, match threes, that sort of thing, are women over the age of 35. That's just reality. Yep. So where do we balance that? Where do we draw that line? How hard is it to make a game that that appeals to a younger demographic? How hard is it to make a game that appeals to an, to an older okay. section? But that, that gets into the design aspect of it. Yep. Yep. How how would you design a hidden object game to be appealing to a younger demographic? Is that applying so, a, a particular license to it? So you know, so so the license would be one one aspect of that. Um, uh, and again, that you know, you you have even even I mean, we've both been involved in licensing for for decades, but you have even a far greater um, understanding about that than than I do. I, that's really pretty simple. That's asking yourself, what are the kids today interested in? But that's for the that's for the younger demographic. The other thing that you need to think about is how hard is it for them to play it, right? Are you are you changing the the scheme and the actual design of the game to make it easier for a younger audience with smaller hands with um, perhaps uh, 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 different level of, of reading skills to, to be able to play the game that's one part of it for a younger audience but here's the irony about that um, designing a game that that will work for a younger audience probably also increases the the functionality of that game for an older audience so maybe the text needs to stay on the screen um a couple of seconds longer uh because because the person isn't quite as fast perhaps you need to take into account um that you know that that not all of your audience is going to have 2020 vision those same things that open your game up to a younger audience can very often open your game up to, to an older. Now, how do you get there? How do you find out about that stuff? Jay, the answer to that is, I would say, ask them. Um, so, if you're uh, if you're if you're trying to make sure that your game works for um, uh, a group of kids or is appealing to a group of kids, go to a school and say, "Hey, I'm working on a game. I'd like to show it to uh, your student body." Um, there's no charge. They get to play a game that hasn't been released. I'd just like to get their input and, and show that off. Um, so what, what did you think of GTA 3, little Johnny? <laughs> I guess I guess they would have to be appropriate to the, to the level, right? You know, it's it, on one hand. I'm, I'm sorry, you used the word appropriate. I'm not sure I understand what that word means, but go ahead. Uh, the, on one hand, you're dead right in one aspect of it. If you want honest-to-God feedback about your games, give it to a kid in elementary school. Because they can tell you exactly what they think. The, I mean, we know that, you know, I'm going to answer my own question to an extent. We know that these mechanics, you know, going back to the casual game analogy, can be translated. You know, because Marvel Puzzle Quest, the original Puzzle Quest line, you know, those are all games that took a match three format and opened it up to a much wider audience. But that's hard to do. And with, I could argue that Puzzle Quest was an IP because it was based on a long line of yeah. existing strategy games, but I'm not going to go there. A lot of that comes down to applying a license to it. Yeah. You know, 
how do you, it's hard to convey. And I know this from years of making casual games. One of the most frustrating things in the world is you launch that game and then, you know, you make the cardinal mistake of going and reading the comments about your game. But when you do it, you have one person saying, Oh my God, this is the hardest game ever. I can't believe they made it this hard. It's no fun. I'm not buying it. And then you have the same game, another commenter going, well, it, it it's an interesting game, but it's obviously made for kids because it's too easy. And so you, yeah. you can't please everybody. And, you know, another case in point why you shouldn't so, read comments. But it's, it's you've got to have a way of appealing and, and showing that this is a a game that's going to appeal to somebody who it wouldn't normally appeal to. And I've told the story, and, and Ed Dilly knows about you know when he first showed me Puzzle Quest at I don't know when it was years and years ago at some conference in Europe. That's all I remember. And I was just like, I, I, it was one of the one of the few meetings that have come out of that. I was also I was like hurt when I left because you know the guys had taken one of my favorite strategy games of all time. And turned it into a match three game. And I was like, I I, I just I have no words. Turns out yeah. to be one of the most brilliant things ever because it spawned so much stuff. Yeah. But it obviously can be done, but it's a matter of how do you figure that out? And it could be just analytics, like Corey was talking about on Friday, you know, putting the right analytics in there to see when people were, you know, missing things and quitting and all of that sort of stuff. But um so, so there's, there's analytics and, and there's no question in my mind of, of how important that is. But, but again, um, the, the older I get, the more I come up with simple answers for complex problems. Um, if you want to know how your game will appeal to or not appeal to a large audience, um, put it out there for a large audience. Jay, um, you remember when games used to put out demos like way ahead of, of Wait, we're doing game. that again now we've already uh, come full circle on that now we got people releasing demos on steam that are their own unique game so it doesn't screw with their steam rankings but well yes, i also so, remember the days of having 14 floppy disks to install yeah, yeah yeah well so we just we just released um the alpha demo and it's actually our, our second second demo the first was actually pre-alpha but we just released the alpha demo of of System Shock on um, on Steam and GOG, um, I I want to say that we had well over a hundred thousand um, downloads on on the first weekend of it. Free. It's it's um, basically the first level. Um, we have updated it uh, to have all the enemies and all the all the weapons. So. You know, it, it, what you get is uh, what what you see is what you're going to get with a finished product. Um, we released that game. We got a ton of feedback on our Discord. Um, you know, people found you know either bugs um, um, that that our QA team had had not found you know previously. Um, you know, you, you you can't possibly hire a hundred thousand QA workers. So so releasing it that way gives you gives you the answer from a far greater pool. But more importantly. We got a lot of feedback from people about what worked for them in the game and what didn't work from them for them in the game. Um, you know, and that and, and we we did it. I mean, we're we're close to you know we we've got a 
a, a release date of, of coming out uh, later on this year. Um, so we're 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 uh, in the final phases, but it was really interesting. As not all of the feedback is going to go into the finished game, but a significant portion of it will. Um, they told us, you know, what was too hard, what was too easy, what they liked, what they didn't like, and um, and you know, so that's that's the easy way to to, to solve those problems. Um, the one thing I will counsel ab about that is that you know you really need to make an attempt. I mean, we have a, a well-known franchise. We have you know people know Night Dive and they know the Night Dive history and they they follow along with the project. I mean, you know, we, we had, had we started off with with more than twenty thousand backers from our, our Kickstarter, so we had a a, a pretty significant uh, subject pool in there. But um, with with that said. Uh, you know, you really need to make sure that if you're if you're going to release a demo, if you're going to put it out there, that you put it out as widely as as possible. Um, for us, you know, we were pretty confident um, because of the PR around it and because of the, of the upcoming stuff. You know, we were really pretty confident that we were going to reach uh, a wide range of people, and in fact, we did. Um, you know, but I, uh, if you asked me for for demographic information about our audience, unfortunately, I, I, I don't collect that. Um, so I'm, but then I'm just, how do you know you're getting a diverse audience? Right. Just, just from the, the, uh, just from the numbers and you're right. And that's, that's exactly the, the key. Um, you know, I would, I would say to you that with, um, with the, the number of downloads that we had, it was, it was less of a concern, but had we only had a hundred or 50 downloads of it, or 20 downloads of it, you run into that problem to, to an even greater degree, right? You, you just don't know, you just don't know who your, who your audience is unless you, you gather that information. Um, we do have, you know, we do have some, some places where we collect survey data, but, but again, um, I, and I, I'm not saying it that, that we've solved the problem, but, you know, we recognize that, that it's there certainly for us. Um, if you asked me, for example, ab about ageism, about, um, about, you know, how wide, how wide an age range and, and, and night dive in particular, um, we get a lot of, of the, the younger end of the gamers. Um, when we release the title, um, people who say, wow, I I've only heard about this game. Thank you for the opportunity to try it. And we get a, a lot of people towards the, uh, the other side of, uh, uh, of the gaming demographic, you know, people who say, I played this game the first time. I'm so glad to have it, have it back. So, um, you know, that, that, that's a, a concern that we have for our audience. When we release a new game, it, it, it doesn't surprise me. Um, if people say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm having a hard time with this or I, I need some stuff. Fortunately, we're, because we're, we're almost completely digital, fortunately, we've got the ability to go and make some incremental changes and to, to try to fix things um, when they're first released. You know, the, the, the one that comes to mind that, that's top of mind on that is, uh, is Turok. So, I, you know, I played Turok uh, when it originally came out in the 1990s. It was a game that I, I played with my, my son. Um, loved the game. If you remember the way the original game was, um, Fog was was certainly an element in that game. Um, it has been widely chronicled um, that the original developers um, used the fog because there were limitations because of the hardware of the time on on your on your range. They wanted to have a high degree of detail, and in order to be able to support that, given the limitations of the hardware, they had to limit the sight distance. 
right? They could they could have a you know high degree of of fidelity, but have a very limited sight distance. Well, of course, today we have modern hardware. Um, it was actually uh, in the in the process of uh, working with uh, one of the team members uh, from from DreamWorks at the time that he said, um, "How about giving players the option to roll the fog back?" So uh, the default you know setting on it now has. Uh, much less of a limitation in the, in the sight distance. Although, if you're a purist, you can go and toggle the fog and and uh, and and have an experience that's much closer to the original. How much of a bias do you run into getting feedback from your Discord when they're all obviously fans of the game, and that's why they're on your Discord? Yeah, that's um, that's one of the things that's probably um, probably. Uh, unsolvable um we we don't really know the answer to that the way that we uh we try to work around that um we get a a fair amount of uh of media exposure perhaps um more than a fair amount of, of media exposure um uh i i tell people all the time that uh Except for the limitations on, you know, on, on time that you, you can't give everybody the interview that they want, but um, you know, certainly via email, uh, I answer every question um, posed to me by the press. Uh, Steve Kick, the CEO of Night Dive, same thing. Uh, a number of our developers, uh, breaking my own rule, have uh, have 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 appeared on shows. Fortunately, talking only about the development process. Um, you can't get too political when you're talking about building a renderer, um, but uh, but I, I guess shaders might be a political topic. Uh, uh, sorry about that. That was probably a dad joke in, in there. Uh, that 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 said, you know, we we try to get feedback from from as wide a range as we can. On the other hand, we just don't have the the resources to do you know a, a multi million dollar. Um, uh, you know, pre-launch campaign where we're we're checking various demographics. It, it's just not not viable for us. That goes back to to my earlier point about um, hiring a diverse group of people. And so, you know, a lot of that a lot of that feedback comes. You know, a lot of the the, the, the corrections on that come from from having a, a diverse group of developers. Where do when we're talking about? politics politics where do we it's in this is the thing it's like it's inherently in game because yep. people create games therefore you know they're going to intrinsically have a bit yeah. of their own politics in it but then we get things that you know, when the latest wolfenstein was launched you know we had this big conservative uproar because it was obviously political because it was anti-Trump and whatever. And we're talking about a game that had been in development for two or three years. Right. So you can't go in and go, oh, okay, we're launching in January and we have two months, so we have to like change it, put all this other political shit in there. You know, what's your... How, how do we manage that? I mean, is that a bad thing? Is that a good thing? Is Where do those conversations lead us and should we be having them so um that's that's a complex question i mean understanding that that to begin with that whether you're consciously making political choices or not consciously making you're still making those choices 
if you say I don't want to deal with the issue of of you know uh, of skin color and characters, you've just made a choice, right? If you say I'm I'm only going to offer one, you've 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 made a choice there, whether it was intentional or unintentional. So so there's that part about it, um, but games should be political. The ones that the ones that resonate most with us are games that speak to something in us. Um, so you know, I, I think that I think that those are um, those 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 are, are part and parcel of it. I'm, I'm glad that you brought up uh, New Colossus. You know, in particular, um, those guys uh, um, have taken a stand about about what they feel, um, and and they're they're sticking to their guns. Um, I, I have I have no problem with that. The only thing that I will say is that if you believe that um, that that Bethesda, you know, part of Zenimax should should have the um, have the freedom to to make an openly political game. There's an implication in there that somebody at the opposite end of the political spectrum should also have the freedom to make a game. It's up to the consumer which game that they buy. Exactly. That's so, that's exactly the point. I mean, we books have been political for for years. Movies have been political for years. You can't if if you don't like the fact that you may and this is what I love about you know politics. It's it's like it doesn't even have to be inherently baked in. Right. It could be something that you see. And if you see something in that game you don't like, don't buy it. In uh it's very easy. There's there's no better way. It's a non-gaming thing, but there's no better way to put this in in perspective than in uh, in 2020. Um, it is a political statement whether you choose to wear a mask or not when you go outside. Yes, which is crazy. Can't can't explain it any any better than that. Um, can't can't give you a better example. That that said, if you if you believe that it, it is important for somebody to have the freedom to say, hey. I believe that it's important for me to wear a mask. Um, you're probably going to end up. You probably have to support the corollary and and say that you have to support somebody's freedom to say I shouldn't wear a mask. But that's where we get into the whole. That's you know, where you if, get. If I'm swinging my fist at your face, two inches from your face. Yep. Am I doing anything wrong? Yep. Until I step forward two inches, and yep. the problem with you know, when we're dealing with something like now with this pandemic and disease is yes, you are swinging your fist at someone's face, but you can't see your fist. Right. And, and, and again, this is not just, just bear this in mind. This is not a new issue. The way that we described it in, in prior generations was, do you have the right to scream fire in a crowded movie theater? Yes. Right. And, and that is so pre 2020 because then you have to explain to people what movie theaters were. And you and have to explain word, what, what word, fire means. And what the word crowded meant back back in the old days yeah. when we didn't have a six-foot separation. So yeah, I you know, I, I get that. Um and 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 those are those are you know, those are issues about about expression. Um I think the majority of us um would say that we support free speech one hundred percent as long as it doesn't disagree with any of our core ideals. <laughs> The the First Amendment with an asterisk, you know. Beside I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I think I, I just I just got to say, 
parenthetically, it's a little bit meta. Um, I can only make those, um, I won't even say jokes, but those wry remarks on a show with you. Because if I did it with uh, 20-somethings, they would go, oh, my God, what did he just say? (laughs) The 20-somethings don't watch our show anyway. It's all good. Um, The... I, you know, if we want to talk about the, the greater problem in this country, anyway, a lot of when when I was growing up in say eighth ninth grade, that's when we had our first civics class where we learned about government, we learned about the state government, we learned about the federal government, we learned about the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. I think a very, very large portion of the U.S. population, and I'm not even drawing this on political lines, I'm just saying in general needs to go back to ninth grade and understand what the freedom of speech is. It is there to protect you from the government, not from Twitter CEO. He's a private company. You're playing on in his playground. He gets to make the rules. It's not violating your freedom of speech to put things in games to make you, you know, wear a mask for, you know, yeah. health concerns. We, we seriously need another course in basic us civics. Yeah. There's, there, there is an option to vote uh, against those companies. Um, but it involves taking out or not taking out your wallet. Yeah. If you, uh, if you find, um, the discourse on Twitter, um, not to your liking, I, I can help you with uh, with the two finger salute. Press Alt F four, and that that all goes away. Take uh, the icon and slide it to the top of your phone, and there's yeah. a trash can. <laughs> yep, yeah. um, that that will uh, that will that will work. Um, but you know, it, it's, we we all we especially in the the days of you know the twenty four hour news cycle, which which I yeah. still feel is like the worst thing that ever happened to this world. The, you know, we automatically tune out things that we don't like, you know, and, and, you know, I have family like this. I'm like, did you see something on blah, blah, blah? No, I don't like their programming. Well, it's not that you don't like it. It's that you don't agree with it and you don't want to hear things that you don't agree with. Right. But, but Jay, that's, that's institution, that that's individual bias that I'm, I'm less concerned with than, um, than the algorithm, um, that, that reads the things that I, I currently believe and shows me more of them. Yes. Uh, that's, that's that, that's a different, that's a different problem. Um, I will, uh, I will tell you, um, and, and this may well uh, offend any libertarians that are, uh, that, that are listening to you know, Facebook has a has a unique problem. Um, Facebook is is many things, right? It's a, a social media platform. However, it is also arguably the largest uh, news service in the world. And as long as they have a button on Facebook that says news, I, I'm I'm pretty adamant that they should be uh, under the same laws that govern newspapers, magazines, radio stations. You know about that. Um, but they're not creating their own articles like those places are. So, so um, let me push back on that. Yes. And say um, the majority of newspapers don't create their own articles. They buy them from the news services, and they have since oh I don't know Civil War 
um, something along those lines. I mean, I don't know how low, how old uh, AP and UP are, but but those are the primary places that you know that that we that that those those guys purchase purchase things. So if if you're um, if you're in uh, say oh I don't know North Carolina, uh, perhaps a small town there, um, your local newspaper. Um, may have you know the news of the world. They don't have roving reporters that that are out in every major capital in the world. They're buying their stuff from from streaming services. But but that's not even the point. If you're going to say you're a news service, then you're bound by the same rules that the other guys are, and you and you should be. It, that's not a question of uh, you know, that. That to me is just putting everybody on a level playing field. Right. That kind of that act, that kind of goes along the thing, and I've seen that on uh, social media, where people will post like um, all these places get their news from the same place. I don't know what the posts are, but it'll show like ten different um, news yeah. channels, and they're all saying the exact same. That's because they're reading a press release, right? Yeah, they're, yeah. They're just basically. All right, so we got a question here from McJohn, Miguel, Chris, John. And here, let's get your opinions. Shouldn't politics be addressed in the same way they are in other forms of the entertainment industry, subtly here and there, but keeping in mind the idea of entertainment being the focus? I um, I have a number of, of uh, friends in Hollywood um, that would uh, push back about, uh, about, about any subtleness in either, uh, in either television or film. Um, I would, I would, I would offer, you know, um, I, I'm not even going to talk about necessarily current movies, but, um, born on the 4th of July. Um, I mean, I, you know, I, I could just go down a list, full metal. I mean, I can go down a list of things that, um, that, that absolutely, you know, made, made political statements at the time. Um, Space Force on Netflix. What what I what I would what I would say what I would say in response to this is I don't I don't need you to be subtle. Subtle has there's there's two implications to that. Um, one is is that you know you, you're thinking about understatement. The other one is that there's a, a quality of subtleness that says you're trying to lead me down a path without telling me what the path is. I would I would much rather you kind of disclose what you're trying to do. Um, I do lectures all the time. Some are, are historical, some are political. I tell the people at the beginning of the lecture, this is where I'm headed. And I tell the people at the end of the lecture, this is where, where I, I hope we all arrived at. Um, I make full disclosure. Now, as, as hard as I try to disclose my own bias, I, I have biases that I'm not even, even aware of, um, as we all do. And and so that's a little bit difficult, but but um, I'm okay with with the game saying, hey, this is this is what I hope you take from it. I'd rather they they, they did that than than try to lead me down a path um, where I, I I you know the Aristotelian solution where I, I come to the conclusion without realizing that I was being led that way. That um, and Divinorium had a really good point. You know, as a non-American, he's he's from Brazil. Yeah. He said the politics in, in the U.S. movies isn't subtle at all, and you know that's the thing. There are so many, you know, of the of these movies that whether even whether or not you consider it subtle or not is debatable. 
let me just say, let me, let me ask that we, we pull back a little bit from this because um, we can do another, an, another uh, cast where, another stream where we fix all the problems in the movie industry. Um, let's talk about the problems in the games <laughs> industry, industry first. And, and again, you know, it, there are there are things like the political direction of a game, New Colossus. That that the direction of that game is absolutely in your in your face, right? I mean, you you know you know that within minutes of playing the game, where it's it's leading you to. Uh, but there are other parts of game design development that are are less obvious and that also need to be addressed. What character choices you have is one. Whether a game um, takes into account. Uh, that that the the visual abilities of somebody when they're very young or very old is different from somebody in their thirties. I mean, those those are are, are a different set of things. Uh, on the level of of subtlety um, versus versus um, honesty or, or candor, um, I I do want to take a couple of minutes and and talk about game companies and uh, people in the game industry supporting various causes, because I, I think that's a logical segue from where we're at. Um, you know, you should, you should, uh, it, you, you should be able to, to have the same rights and abilities as, as an ordinary citizen. Uh, as an ordinary citizen, you are certainly free to contribute to cause A and to choose not to contribute to cause B. Um, you can say that that one thing speaks to a problem that you see, and um, and uh, uh, you know another one is is does you're, isn't something that you're particularly concerned with, and I think that's a, a very big issue today, um, particularly particularly this week with all the game companies that um, that supported uh, the time of silence. Um, I think that that's something that you know you saw quite a bit on on social media, on Facebook, on on Twitter, uh, on on other platforms as well. Um, that's that's one kind of statement. Um, Night Dive is perhaps less less concerned with making those statements as as a company. We do not inhibit the rights of of individuals. Um, on uh, on on you know individuals and I can't even really say employees because most of our people work as contractors but we don't we don't ask we don't tell we don't um, you know the only things that we're concerned with are that um, whatever your your point of view is that it doesn't impact your working relationship with the other developers that said um, one thing that that we do quite a bit um, and and it's up to you to talk about whether you know how you consider it political or not, so we support a number of charities, and that is uh, that's that's really really important to me um, morally and, and ethically. Um, I'm going to tell you, you know, so far um, this year in in, in 2020, um, we helped raise uh, about a half million dollars um, through a partnership, and, and I'm going to do a commercial for them through a partnership with you know, one of our, our oldest partners through Humble Bundle. Um, we supported two different um, charity efforts for them. Um, the first one was in support of the Child's Play charity. Um, does everybody know what that is? Jay, Indy, you guys are familiar with that, right? I, I know oh, Child's yeah. Play. 
Yeah, yeah. For so sure. both sides of the table, from the person who you know has donated for years to yeah. the father who was in the hospital seeing what they do for kids. So yeah, I'm very familiar. So so child's play. I mean, you, you hit the nail on that. Child's play basically um, uses uses games to uh, to help um, kids that are in hospital, some some very sick kids, you know, get through that that uh, that experience. And the uh, the second charity that um, that we supported um, is one that's 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 also personally um, near and dear to my heart. Jay, you know this. My uh, my daughter is uh, a nurse on the uh, oncology uh, unit at, at Mission Hospital um, over over by you, and um, so we participated in a fundraiser that bought um, that bought PPE for. Uh, for for hospitals staff worldwide, um, I I I I don't really see that as being political. Um, I don't see that you know that helping kids in in hospitals get through or or um, trying to make sure that that um, nurses and doctors you know survive to the end of their shift as being political. But um, in some ways, you know, everything is political these days. Um, uh, you know, certainly we were not confined to just uh, American medical staff. You know, it was an effort to support people worldwide. Um, we're pretty proud that, that we did that. Um, we have been asked to participate in an upcoming fundraiser um, that is, um, is, is more um, politically oriented, and it'll be coming out on the, on the 16th. I'm, I'm not going to be premature in my reveal on that, but... Um, Again, Humble Bundle is uh, is an important partner of ours, and we think that those guys do just just phenomenal, phenomenal work um, raising money for a number of good causes. So, um, if Humble asks us to participate and donate, um, we do. We're seeing more and more companies companies do this, and Humble was one of the first big ones anyway that I remember that their their goal from day one is we're bundling games and giving the money to charity. And now we're starting to see, you know, I see publishers coming up and, and getting started. I see ad um, mitigation at ad, ad aggregator networks that are coming yeah. up and saying we're supporting you know, games that, that work for social change. One of our clients is, is doing one. And I love to see that, you know, I've always loved the practice of taking what we know in games and applying it to real world situations that help people. And nowadays you see it in, in, in doctors who are doing surgery training in VR and all this other kind of good stuff. But yep. I think it's, it says a lot about the evolution of our industry and the spread of the demographic of the people who are playing our games. And that, you know, I'm covering, you know, gender, race, age, you know, location in the world, all of this stuff that we're getting to the point now that that's becoming something important and, and people are thinking about it and, and they're acting on it. Uh, but it is becoming, I mean, Humble was absolutely i'm sure somebody did it before humble but not to the extent that humble did it um or has done it but now we're starting to see more and more of this stuff and it's you know i love it it's it, it's very interesting the 
the catch is, you know, where where do the where do you draw the line, or, or where do these companies draw the line of actually doing something that benefits, you know, a group of people or a country or a cause or whatever, and how do you tune out the ones that are just doing doing it to exploit the PR? Yeah, I am. I, um, I, I'm. I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent sure. So, um, I, I don't really care if you're doing it to exploit the PR as long as you're supporting a good cause. I, I'm not point. really concerned what your motivation is. I'm. I'm really more concerned with what the outcome is. No, and and, and that's. Okay. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Right there. The tweet or the announcement. So this is exactly what I want to. Yep. From Activision in the midst of the protest last weekend, and they said, we believe very strongly in this and we're going to take steps on our games to, you know, yeah. to improve this. And my response to that tweet was, can your first response be doing anything at all? Because immediately it was full of people who took screenshots of not even like sub subtly yeah. racist usernames in their games, flat out to get you arrested as you know names in, in these games and they've never done shit about it so and now um, all of a sudden they're like oh we're gonna do more like, so 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 let me back up a second and 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 it's it's not let, let me say it is not an activision problem um it is a problem worldwide um we were not set up to to do those things um, while we might agree with them, let me give you the perfect example. A guy was um, arrested uh, last year, I want to say. It might have been early uh, 2020 um, for an, an actual plot um, was, was going to blow up uh, a synagogue, right? I mean, had explosives, had firearms, had been, been talking about it, um, had been posting about it um, uh, on, the, on the Steam forums, um, I mean that was that was actually what what led to his his arrest, um, and and it's great that that you know he he said these things on the forums and somebody spotted him and and contacted. I'm not sure how it went through, but but eventually it got to the right area and he was arrested and stopped before he could do any harm. Um, his username on Steam was uh, Hitler six million. Yes. So so that might be a, that might be a hint. That uh, that there was someone on Twitter, and and I get that, and 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 I and I do get I, I do get that. On, on the other hand, let's remember that what he was arrested for was for plotting an actual crime. He was not arrested for having the username Hitler Six Million. There's nothing, there's 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 nothing in intrinsically illegal. I won't say it doesn't have to be illegal. No, I'm not yeah. saying it has to be illegal. I'm saying take some common sense. And it does not take a lot of effort to put in a banned words code in in, in a game. It's, so it's so, not hard. so look 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 look. Let's go back to the to the old days uh, of uh, of bulletin boards when we we tried you know when when there was when there was that attempts were made to to do that kind of filtering, and um, we very quickly this this is in the nineteen nineties folks. We very quickly learned that if you change one or two letters to numbers, substitute you know various 
characters that you can get around those rules. So while you may have a flag that uh, that 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 you know you may you have someone said that flags Hitler H I T L E R, um, it doesn't capture H number one T L E R. Okay, yes, it, it, in the nineties that was an issue. Again, today, when I enter a username on a service, it's already yeah. pinging the server to say, does somebody already have this name? Yeah. Even yeah. if you're entering these damn things manually, everyone knows H-I-T-L-E-R is the same as, as H-I-T-L-4-A. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah I, I got you, Jay. I, I got you. I, I, I just want to point out that anytime we try to, to, to automate something and make it 100% perfect, um, uh, among the many bad habits that I have had in my lifetime, I used to love to read Westerns. Um, the, the late Louis L'Amour was one of my favorite authors. Um, it's a quote from one of his books. Um, there ain't a horse that can't be rode and there ain't a rider that can't be throwed. Um, you know, th no matter how you try to, to, to work out those, those principles, um, it's not going to be a hundred percent perfect. That's, I, wait, be, wait a I know it won't be. I'm asking these companies to make it 2% perfect as a start I, before I, you I, turn around and start saying, Oh, we're going to do better when you're not doing shit in the first I, place. I agree with you. I, I agree with you hundred percent of that. You know, the, the biggest problem in, in social media platforms these days is that they're all publicly traded. Right. And, um, you know, the, 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 the metric that, that always dictates, you know, the stock price is, um, you know, monthly average users, daily average users, you know, the, the number of average users, which means that when you go through your system and you flush out those 4 million Russian bots or, I don't should pick on the Russians. Those Canadian bots, those uh, those bots from the Newfie separatist movement. I please, I hope there isn't a Newfoundland separatist movement that I'm I'm just making stuff up on this. But when when you flush out those those bots, your stock price goes down, and that's a that's a kind of bitter pill to swallow for a lot of the companies, right? You, you you ban those users, and and maybe they won't come back. You you ban those users, and then they raise hell about their First Amendment rights because once again they yeah have either forgotten or flat out skipped their ninth grade civics lessons. You know, you know, it, it, it's like plant just said, you know, it doesn't have to be legal. No one has a right to a username or a private service, but it's, it's absolutely, you, you've hit the heart of the problem. They don't want to ban those people because a they're paying them money and B those people will then turn around and raise hell on social media about their first amendment rights being banned by activision because they couldn't put you know some horrendously racist or evil username in for how they wanted to play i uh, I, I just have to reference a comment that was made by uh, by plant lamp um clearly clearly uh, we're on the same page he's uh, advising me uh that i shouldn't pick on the russians because they're listening <laughs> Probably very true. Um, the only thing that I can I can say to that, and and this uh, this came up in a discussion recently, I I said something you know fairly bland on uh, on uh, our 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 company Discord server, and uh, one of the folks uh, said to me that um, I probably shouldn't tweet that because it'll it'll end up with my name being on a list, 
And I said, my, my name's been on one list or another since the 1960s. Yeah, so, I'm, you know. I'm pretty sure I'm on a lot of them already. So uh, <laughs> not overly, not overly concerned about that. Um, Larry, thank you as always. Uh, hey, hey, Jay, but before I go, before we sign off, I, I just, I just have something that I have to, I have to share. As you know, I, um, I, I have a T-shirt for every. Oh, occasion. I completely. I'm sorry. I completely no, it's forgot. okay. It's okay. I have a T-shirt for for uh, every occasion. Um, uh, I, I believe that that a lot of the things that we do, um, that that we talk about uh, today, uh, that people should look at in in terms of of enlightened self-interest. Um, you know, if you're uh, if you're not the minority now, you you may soon be. Um, so today's T-shirt um, has a quote from uh, the Reverend Martin Niemöller. Um, a, uh, a a German um, a, a German clergyman, um, non-Jewish, who who ended up in the in the Dachau uh, concentration camp for uh, for criticizing the Hitler government. He he wrote this up. Um, First, they came for the socialists, and I did not speak up speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. So I guess that's uh, that's my parting thought. Again, uh, Jay, Indy, thank you so much for uh, for permitting me to be a guest, and I, I hope I didn't bore your audience too much. Oh no, they get bored listening to us anyway, man. You're good. It's uh... <laughs> thank you. I mean, it is. I mean, one because you know, I, I I did drop you a note about two hours before we go live, going, "Hey, uh, do you mind stopping whatever you're doing and coming on the show today?" Um, but no, we we always appreciate it, and that's one of the things that we like to do. It's it's there's a lot of aspects to business of this industry. It's not just how do you do your marketing plan and did you do your your customer research on on your launch schedule. You know, there's a lot of different aspects to it, and it's something that we all have to keep in mind. And uh, this is what we need. These are the discussions we have to have. Thanks again for giving me the opportunity to share uh, what few thoughts I I actually have left in my my aged brain. Our pleasure. So we will be back Friday with someone. I know we are. We have a guest. I don't know who it is yet, but um. We'll be back Friday. Uh, thank you, Indy, for um, test driving all the new tech that we have here today. Um, you're muted. I didn't hear you. It's, uh... Yes, our new tech is pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, join the Indie Game Business Discord, discord.gg slash Indie Game Business. Also, you can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at uh, Facebook, Indie Game Business, Twitter, B- Business Indie, and, um, oh, anchor.fm. Indie Game Business. That's where the podcast is going to be. So thank you so much. Thanks, Larry. And uh, we're out of here. Peace. We'll see y'all later. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at IndieGame.Business.